Hello, and welcome to another season of Whole and Complete Podcast. Bam, ba, da, da. Did you miss me? I know you did. <laughs> I have been off the air for way too long. I, You know, I thought I was going to be off the air for like three months, and it ended up being closer to like five or six months. So I apologize. I was, I needed this time. I was going through some things. I had a hot girl summer. Hey, meaning I traveled and I was living my best traveling life. I was wearing my two-piece bikinis and all the things because I've done so much work on my body that I was like, I'm going to walk this out and I'm going to love every minute of it. However, I am back in the saddle. I'm back on the mic. I am back and ready, locked in for a whole nother season. So this is season four of the podcast. Like, I can't even believe I'm saying that out of my mouth. Something that was launched during the pandemic. And after being off the air from my previous podcast for almost a year and jumping back into this seat to do this work and for you guys to still be here and still be dialed in. I am so grateful for you. I am so grateful for your listenership. I'm grateful every time you share an episode. I'm just awash with gratitude and ready to dive into this content. Every time I kick off a new season, I always feel like I want to come back with something sexy and positive and just riveting and what have you. I feel like I always start the season in like, I don't want to say a dark place, but it's never like with this happy, happy, joy, joy news. Like I remember season one, episode one was about the cancer series and we were like really uh, doing a deep dive into those things that, you know, fester in our spirits and, you know, kind of change the trajectory of our lives. And I remember last season we started with grief and I was like, dang, why we got to start with grief? Well, this season we are starting with the breakup series because if you remember, if you listen to season three and you recall from the dating series, I ended that series by saying I was happily coupled and now I am not. I feel like Jay-Z was like grand opening, grand closing (laughs) (laughs) because that is no longer the case. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I obviously learned a lot from that experience. And so for me, this is never, ever going to be about um, spilling the hot tea or, you know, getting into like the juicy details and particulars of my life or, you know, dragging somebody's name through the mud. That's not how I roll. I've never rolled like that. But I do think that when you go through an experience that teaches you so much about relationships and relationships have such a tremendous impact on your mental health. I would be remiss not to share it. Also too, even though I kind of low key despise the word influencer, quote unquote, because I prefer the word impact, you know, but impact just doesn't seem to resonate the way that influencer does. But I have a real issue when quote unquote influencers paint this fairy tale pie in the sky version of their lives and all they show are the highlight reels and the wins. And they never show you like the losses, like they never share that sometimes you you just got to take a L, you know, and I want to be transparent about what happened with this particular encounter in in terms of this experience and this relationship. And so as always, we have a guiding scripture, you know, the Lord has a word to say about everything for this episode. And it is this Proverbs four and seven. And it says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. I repeat, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. 
And so today we are going to be talking about que pasó, which is Spanish for what happened. Mea culpa, meaning my fault. That's Latin for my fault. Why was this my fault? Um, and we're going to revisit attachment. So que pasó, what happened? I have really thought long and hard about how I would broach this subject. And let me start by saying that I have so much tremendous respect for my listening audience. And I know that when you respect somebody and they have influence or impact in your life, then, you know, you kind of, to a degree, almost accept their word as like truth and gospel, right? And I want to be clear, you know, we are human beings and have human frailties. And you can do, let me be a, a perfect, clear example of how you can do all the work. You can do so much work on yourself, right? And still still make piss poor decisions with respect to uh, relationships or finances or, you know, family, like you, you can still you're still subject to error because you are a human being in development, still growing, if you really lean into that process. And so I just wanted as a matter of integrity and responsibility, be able to just be as transparent with you as possible, because I didn't want to just be transparent about the happy, happy, joy, joy things in my life and not be transparent about the things that are less happy. So I think it's just as important to share your losses as it is to share your wins so that we don't create this false narrative that our lives are problem free and that it's aspirational and unattainable. That is not the truth. Having influence does not exempt us from having problems in our lives, nor does it exempt us from doing uh, the work on ourselves, and it doesn't exempt us from making poor choices, but we will get to that in the next session. But what is most important in this particular section is that as I look back at the entire experience from last season, there were clear indicators that this would not be a lasting relationship. And this first section is really going to be all about the dangers of your ego namely the dangers of my ego. So if you are new to this podcast, welcome. Whole and Complete is a series-based podcast all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well and dealing with the real life issues that impact our mental health and well-being. And so this is a series-based podcast. And so usually the series are a three-episode series. And so this is the first episode in this series. So if you are new, welcome. But I do strongly encourage you to go back and listen to last season where I shared my experience on dating apps, which was pretty abysmal. And looking back, I can completely see where my ego entered the chat, right? And I can completely see how my ego played a role in kind of facilitating a relationship that intuitively knew that I knew was kind of like doomed from the start. So here's why I say that I am a high achiever. I am I am a high achieving woman. I mediocrity is something that is just untenable for me. It's like my worst fear. And because I am a high achiever, okay, because I have succeeded in my career, because I have succeeded in my platform, because I have succeeded in achieving so many goals in my life, I am used to working hard and getting predictable, successful, consistent results. So I figured if I waited in the waters of the dating pool and exerted my charms and my witty repartee, that I would emerge victorious with a new boo. Well, suffice it to say, after a string of dates from people that I had met on the dating app and one catfishing incident, which was crazy, I left the dating app process feeling defeated and deflated and empty handed. 
And I am not used to losing when you are a high achiever and you are used to applying elbow grease and a positive mindset and strategic frameworks and receiving these predictable, successful results and outcomes, then this was kind of like a hard pill for me to swallow. And so rather than accept the fact that I cannot control human behavior, because all I can control is myself, I can't control, you know, who's on the other end of these apps. And rather than revisiting the fact that, hmm, maybe the men that I was attracting were somehow reflective of things that I needed to work on within myself, my ego said, nah, we need a win. Okay, we need a win. And so I started engaging with someone who had been on my radar for months. But I as I look back, I had intentionally stayed away from this individual because my observations and my instincts told me that we probably would not be an ideal pairing for a healthy, lasting, exclusive relationship. In fact, like early on in like our dating life, I told him multiple times, I was like, wow, I must have really been wrong about you because like in the six months that we dated, we never argued. We like whenever we were together, it was a good time. We laughed a lot. <laughs> you know, we didn't have any blow ups. Uh, we had a lot of long, meaningful conversations, all of that. However, we did not spend a lot of time together and our time away from each other. So the times where we were not together really gave me the distance that I needed to look more closely at things that maybe I had overlooked. And when I saw this pattern, okay, I kicked myself and I kicked myself hard because you know how like in the cartoons when the main character certainly like suddenly turns into like a jackass. That was me, y'all. All of a sudden, I started flashing back to like the first date that we had. Um, he took me out to dinner and he started sharing some key things about his life. And as he was sharing these things, I literally said to myself, oh, no, he has an avoidant attachment style. And I actually said that to him out loud. I was like, are you familiar with attachment styles? And then I kind of broke down the difference between like a secure attachment an anxious attachment and avoidant attachment or what have you. And he hadn't heard of it. So, you know, we ended up having a conversation about that. But literally as I was listening and literally out of my mouth, did I say he has an avoidant attachment style and baby, let me tell you something. If you have not heard the series on attachment, which I think is also in season three, I strongly highly suggest that you go run back and listen to that. But when you have an avoidant attachment style, here are some of the characteristics of an avoidant. So avoidance tend to be easily distracted or not fully present or engaged in the relationship. Uh, avoidance find ways to create distance, either physically or emotionally. Avoidance deploy what are called deactivation strategies. And so deactivation strategies are things that are going to inadvertently disrupt the harmony in the relationship. So maybe this person doesn't set appropriate boundaries. Avoidance tend not to really open up about their needs and emotions because they tend to be inherently distrustful. Like they don't trust closeness. They don't trust intimacy. They don't trust love. Um, sometimes avoidance are secretive or send mixed messages or limit affection. 
Uh, sometimes avoidance complain about feeling suffocated or controlled. When people try to get too close, they get triggered and they start asking for space or they start needing space and they tend not to protect the relationship, sometimes by engaging inappropriately with other people. And avoidance tend to be focused on like their own needs and survival rather than like the overall needs of the person in the relationship or rarely will ask if the other person is okay in the relationship. Which brings me to mea culpa, okay? Which brings me to the Latin phrase for this is my fault. So knowing all that I knew about attachment styles, knowing all that I knew about an avoidant attachment style, it begs the question, why would you get involved with someone who has that type of attachment style? Answer, because my ego needed a win. And when I found myself in a committed relationship with this person, I thought, dun, da, da, da. I have redeemed the narrative. I have redeemed myself from the dumpster fire dating app experience. I won. Ta-da. I came out victorious because I came out in a committed relationship. And this means that I willfully ignored my intuition and my own observations. Anytime you willfully ignore your own intuition, anytime you willfully ignore your own observations, this is tantamount to going to like the grocery store and going down the pet aisle and picking up a can of like cat food that is clearly marked cat food and then getting it home, putting it on the plate and then being disappointed because it's cat food. Baby is cat food. There was nothing that was going to magically, miraculously happen between the time you picked up the cat food, purchased it at the counter, brought it home. And even though you put it on a nice, pretty plate at the end of the day, it's still going to be cat food. And so when you willfully ignore your intuition, that's not the other person's fault. That's on you. When you willfully ignore your observations, that's not the other person's fault. That's on you. And so I ended our relationship about five or six months after it had begun. And normally when I end relationships, I tend to have a scorched earth approach, which means I delete all your pictures and any traces that we were ever together. I block your phone number and I unfollow you on social media. It's basically like you never existed in my life. Grand opening, grand closing, but like with welded door shut. I don't ever want to see you speak to you, interact with you ever again in life. But I did not do that this time because this one was on me. This does not mean that the things that I experienced in our relationship that I that were uh, demonstrative of avoidant behavior. It doesn't mean I'm giving him a free pass, but I walked into this eyes wide open and ego on 10, okay? Ego on 10, knowingly and naively thinking that my love and my care and my nurturing and my sparkling and dazzling personality would somehow change this core attachment style. It did not, y'all, it could not. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction, and I have never not seen this come to fruition. And I think that whenever a relationship dissolves or comes to an end, you have to roll the tape back and review what part, if any, you played or contributed. And I didn't necessarily contribute to the demise of the relationship, but I did knowingly engage in a relationship with someone whose attachment style was incapable of giving me what I needed to feel loved and nurtured and thrive. And I think part of why I could do this is because I consider myself low maintenance. You know, I don't consider myself needy. And we'll talk about that in the next section. 
But I was like, you know, I got a lot going on. I got a child to raise. I'm running a digital platform. I got a full-time job. You know, I travel, I dance. Like I have things going on in my life. And so because I had a very full life, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty low maintenance. But low maintenance is not no maintenance. And here's the thing. He told me, literally out of his mouth, told me up front that he did not have a lot of time. And he did this to manage my expectations, but he also did this because this is his attachment style. But how I interpreted it was, I'm not going to see you every day, which I'm like, that's fine. But I figured I would at least see him once a week. And it ended up being more like once a month. And unless you're in a long distance relationship, uh, seeing each other that infrequently really does not allow the couple to really build any momentum. It doesn't allow the relationship to build any momentum. It doesn't allow two people to really get to know each other on a deeper level because your time together is so limited. And I know what you're thinking. You are thinking, nah, that's some bull crap because people make time for what's important to them. And on the surface, this seems like a perfectly logical argument. But when you are dealing with someone who is avoidant, it's not that simple. When you have an avoidant attachment style, closeness, intimacy actually triggers your survivalist instincts and you start feeling smothered and suffocated and you start doing things to either derail, sabotage or create distance in the relationship because you feel like emotionally the walls are closing in. And it's kind of like, you know how like you see in those movies where the guy um, is surrounded by the cops and he's like, don't come any closer. That's that's the inner workings of an avoidant attachment style. They don't want you to come any closer. OK, even though they might say they do, even if they say that they love you, even if they say they want to spend the rest of their lives with you, they cannot reconcile the disconnect between what they say they want versus what they actually do unless they've taken the time to really understand their own attachment style and have that level of self-awareness which we'll talk about in a minute but those are the inner workings of an avoidant and the kicker is most people who have this type of attachment style don't even recognize that they're doing this or why they're doing this which also begs the question, well, why didn't you say anything, Dr. Shante? I mean, armed with all of the knowledge that you have about this particular topic, why didn't you pull out all of your books and, <laughs> you know, uh, notes and podcasts and literature about attachment styles? And my answer to that is this, because when I'm in a relationship, my job is to love the person, not fix the person. OK, I'm going to repeat that when I'm in a relationship, my job is to love the person, not fix the person. We're talking about a grown man. We're not talking about like some wayward teenager. OK, we all as individuals have to assess the quality of our lives and the quality of our relationships and examine the parts that don't work and then do the work to change them. That's his work to do, not my work to do. And you all know I have spent years doing the work. I have spent years looking at the mindsets, the mental models, the behaviors that don't work for the life that I want to live. I made the choice to invest in therapy. I made the choice to keep myself and my brokenness away from romantic possibilities because I didn't want to show up unhealthy and unhealed. So I didn't date for years after my divorce. Now, this does not mean that you have to be fully healed before you start dating because who among us is ever really fully healed? But you should definitely be self-aware. And self-awareness means considering how the parts of you that are insecure 
or mistrustful or hurting might impact the quality of your relationships. Like you have to take that into consideration and you have to do those calculations. But all of these are individual choices. Okay, these are grown folks choices. I cannot come into somebody else's life and make these choices for them or nag them until they change or police their behavior. Baby, that's work. That is work. And even though every relationship has work to do, the kind of work that I want to be doing in a relationship is working on things like communication so that we communicate well um, or working on things like listening, supporting, nurturing, not changing, molding and shaping. That's the Lord's work. Okay, that's not my work, which brings us to attachment revisited. So one thing that I think is really important to mention is that you have to be really in tune with your emotions when you're in a dating dynamic or in a relationship. I have been very transparent about how I was born to really young parents, you know, teenage parents, and they and there were periods in my early childhood where I experienced, you know, abandonment or neglect. So for me, being in a relationship with someone who is avoidant only triggered those memories triggered those experiences triggered that wound right so for a number of reasons my parents couldn't fully commit to the work of parenting early in my life my biological father never committed to that work and my mother was trying to pursue her education and get herself established and you know having a kid is a lot of work especially when you are young and so I spent a lot of time with my grandmother rather than my mother during those early years and so for me personally when I think about what I need personally I have to be in relationship with someone that is fully committed to the practice of growing the relationship and being there consistently. I need somebody that's going to be all in. And this is really this is really why it's important to be self-aware and know what those core wounds are or what those core mindsets are or what some of those early experiences are and what they mean or what you made them mean and how they get triggered in relationship. And I also had to gauge my levels of Uh, wellness and anxiety. So towards the end of the relationship with this person, you know, I started asking myself, you know, more and more, are you more happy or less happy? Meaning, are you happier now that you're with this person? Or are you less happy now that you're with this person? Are you more anxious now that you're with this person? Or are you less anxious because you're with this person? And anytime the answer is less, like less happy, Um, or anytime the answer is I'm more anxious, then something in the relationship has to change. If you have done the work of wellness and then you find yourself in a relationship and your well-being is being compromised, then you have to love yourself enough to honor that work that you've done and make some changes. Those changes might be setting boundaries. Those changes might be having a difficult conversation. Those changes might be ending the relationship or changing the nature of the relationship. And so I decided that I would rather be friends with this person than in a relationship together. And that is working out, you know, so we're still really cool. You know, we text each other silly stuff. If I need him, I know I can call him and he'll be there. And I have also learned that in life, whenever you feel like you have to force something or push for something or try to manufacture an outcome, you know, when you feel like you just kind of pushing a boulder uphill and you're just experiencing all of this resistance, then most likely it's going to fail. And it doesn't mean it's because it's a bad idea. It doesn't mean because you're a bad person. It doesn't mean because you're never going to be 
in a relationship. It doesn't mean you're never going to get what you want. It just might be the wrong timing. It might be the wrong climate. It might be the wrong location. It might be the wrong place. Like there's something in the dynamic that isn't working that is creating that resistance because things that are meant to be tend to have a natural ease and flow because they're supposed to be. Now, it doesn't mean you're not ever going to have problems or troubles or anything like that, but there's a clear difference when things in your life that are supposed to be there manifest and it just seems like it's so much easier to navigate. It's so much easier to facilitate that process. And so if you do not know your attachment style, I encourage you to go to the website, uh, attachmentproject.com forward slash attachment style quiz. Or if you just go to attachmentproject.com, then it's pretty easy to navigate to where the quiz is and find out what your attachment style is for your own self-knowledge and reflection and know what you are bringing into relationships, not just romantic relationships, but work relationships and friendships because your attachment style is triggered in any number of relational dynamics. And the last thing that I will say for episode number one, season four, is that there is a difference between being needy and having needs. As human beings, you need love, you need nurturing, you need comfort and support and honesty and connection. That is not being needy. Being needy is when you are looking outside of yourself for validation of your worth and your self-esteem, and nobody can do that for you. If you have an anxious attachment style and you're constantly asking questions like, do you love me? Do you like me? What do you love about me? What do you like about me? Are we okay? Do you still love me? Do you still like me? Like, and you need that constant reassurance, then those are some indicators that you have some core wounds or some core mindsets that might need to be healed or some mindsets that need to shift so that you are independently valuing yourself and not looking for somebody else to do that for you. So that is where we will land the plane for this particular episode. So next week on our episode, I will share three books uh, that I read throughout the summer that really helped me to heal from this experience. And I needed it. You know, I actually grieve this relationship. I beat myself up about it. I'm like, Shantae, this was such a self-inflicted wound and self-inflicted wounds can, can sometimes be the hardest to recover from because who can you really blame? <laughs> you know, who can you point the finger at? Like, it's so easy when you can outsource it and be like this evil individual, but no, no, you know, I literally, I, I can tell you without any compunction, me and my ego walked into this and got exactly what we had coming because that's what happens when you make ego driven decisions. Um, so I grieved and, you know, cried real gangster tears and everything because I was very much attached to the idea of it working out. You know, I thought that my search for my person was like over. Okay. So I will share how I processed and healed and grieved and what I learned that better prepared me for the next chapter of my life in this arena. And so if you have any questions, any comments, any takeaways, any celebratory Yay, Dr. Shantae, we missed you. And I'm so glad you're back on the air. Have at it. Hit me up at Dr. Shantae Says on Twitter, on Instagram, and I will see you next time.